Welcome to the Woodland Heights Baptist Church Sunday Talks podcast. Sunday Talks is a weekly roundtable discussion about theological and cultural topics. For more information and show notes, visit whbcconway.org forward slash Sunday Talks. Here's your host, Pastor Larry White. Welcome to Sunday Talks. This season of Sunday Talks we call Psalms for the Summer. We're going through a section of the Psalms, Psalm 41 through Psalm 50. And tonight we are in Psalm 44, so if you have a copy of God's Word, if you'll be opening that up to Psalm 44, and we're going to spend about the next 15 minutes or so uh, just walking through this passage. Um, Likely, uh, there's a good chance that you have never heard a message or Bible study or devotional on Psalm 44. It is one of the, uh, one of the, there are several, but this is one of those that is seldom uh, quoted or mentioned, and I'm going to mention a quote in at the end of, of uh, this talk uh, that uh, someone gave on uh, Psalm 44. I have heard a sermon on it, but only one that I can recall. Uh, Psalm 44 is one of the 11 community laments in the Bible. Uh, lament just means to cry out and to bemoan a circumstance or a situation that we usually feel is unjust done towards us. And so it's one of those, it's a blues song, it's a sad song. Uh, Charles Swindoll, one of my favorite authors, said this about uh, some of these laments. He said, God has trusted us with, with our own set of unfair circumstances and, and unexplained experiences to deal with. Can we still trust Him even if He never tells us why? And uh, this certainly fits in with what we're doing on Sunday mornings with the book of Job and that Job was dealt with some of those unfair circumstances, unfair, unexplained. And most of us probably, as I'm even sharing this, you can think of a situation, maybe you're going through something now that you just don't know, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? And you maybe try to put all those pieces together. And as you navigate that that experience, or you think back on one of those experiences, you still may not have an answer to that. And so this is one of those times, and a complaint, a why is asked, and Psalms 44 is, is a good example of one of those. So let me, let me just, I want to read the passage in its entirety. It's a little bit long, and then we're going to, I'm going to kind of give you a synopsis of some of that, uh, because it's not really a, a one that we'll probably take verse by verse. And so I'll begin Psalm 44, starting at verse 1. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. O God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You you afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the, the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and your light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God, ordained salvation for Jacob. Through you we we push down our foes. Through your name we uh, tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my my bow bow did I trust, excuse me, not in my bow did I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes. You have put to shame those who hate us. 
In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. And then there's this little word, Selah, that comes to the side. Then verse 9. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have gone out uh, and not gone out with our in armies. You have made us turn back from the foe, and those who hate us have gotten spoiled. You have made us like sheep for slaughter, and you have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You've made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face, and the sound of the taunt, taunter and reviler at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been uh, false to your covenant. Our heart is not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart, yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Probably not one of your favorite psalms. <laughs> certainly, certainly not one of mine, but I believe this, as I do with all Scripture, that this is God's sovereign word, and it has meaning and purpose for us, and there's something for us to learn there. Uh, I didn't mention the, the uh, footnote at the beginning there, the, the highlight at the beginning, of, to the choir master, a masculine for the sons of Korah. Uh, the scholars believe that this was a song that was sung in worship. I can't imagine singing this one in worship as as maybe the the in in correspondence as one as one side would sing, the other would respond. And it starts off well, and there's praise to start off, but then there's accusations that are made. Uh, God's people have been humiliated. We don't know exactly what was the defeat. We know that uh, chapters 42 and 43 have dealt with their, their struggle and, and likely uh, from their Babylonian experience of, of being overtaken and put in captivity and being, being exiled. They've been humiliated. They've been defeated. And uh, you know, there's nothing like defeat that brings people together. And sometimes having a common enemy and so... Now they are they have come together and they have they have this enemy from the outside, but it's it's almost as if they see God now as an enemy, that he has forgotten them, that he has neglected them. The thing that makes this lament different than the other eleven is that, that very fact that they accuse God of forgetting the covenant. They say, We remembered, but you've forgotten. We we have kept the covenant, we've been faithful, but you've forgotten. We're alert to the covenant, but you've fallen asleep. And, you know, if you just take this, I, I was thinking about this in context of 2021. If uh, this psalmist were preaching today and he was on social media and he preached this message, probably would be called a heretic for what he says about God and about his covenant. Um, certainly you could take some of this out of context and it certainly would sound uh, like heresy uh, because of, of, of what he accuses of God. Let me just break it down for you and then, and then I want to just kind of do some overarching things with, with the passage. Um, 
verses 1 through 8, again, are praise to God. If you stop at verse 8, it, it sounds pretty good. He's, he's acknowledging what God has done in the past with his people, how he's responded to them, how he's been faithful to them. Then verses 9 through 16, he begins to make these accusations against God, what God has failed to do, what has happened to them because of God's unfaithfulness. Verse 17 through 22 are protest and self-justification of what they have done. And then the last part, verses 23 through 26, are these petitions of prayer that they make to God, and that's interesting in itself of the, of the prayer that's made there. So let's just start back in verses 1 through 8 of these, of these, of these uh, praises that are given, all based on looking at the past, at what God had done for his people in the past. And I can't say enough, even though there's not a lot that we can take out of this as a positive, this is certainly one in this passage, that it is a good thing to recall God's faithfulness in the past and to spend time on a regular basis just to recall where is, where is God worked in my life in the past? Where has he worked in salvation history in the past? Where has he worked in the life of this church? Where has he worked in my family? Where has he worked in this country? Where has he worked in among uh, people that I know? And just to, just to recall on a regular basis, God's faithfulness and remember those blessings and walk through those, those, those experiences. He, said, he says in verse 1, I heard this with my own ears, what you did for my fathers, how you blessed them. I, by your right hand you caused these things to happen in verse, uh, verse number 3. Uh, you pushed down our foes. You, 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 caused, you caused, by cause of your name, uh, we were able to accomplish these things. In fact, they, they acknowledge even all the accomplishments they had in the past and their fathers had were because of God, not because of them. It says in verse 8, In God we boasted continually. We give thanks to your name forever. And so there is this great chorus of praise and acknowledgement of God. And then verse 9 turns really sour. There is a, it's, it's, it goes to a minor tone and minor key in verse 9. And just that phrase, but you have rejected us and disgraced us. Um, I thought of a lot of country songs that I wanted to maybe have Eric play in the background right there, but but they don't they don't exactly fit this. But but he's in. You're the one, God. You're the one to blame. You've caused the shame and the suffering and all this. And we and they, they put all their focus on him, and they're overwhelmed by their emotions and by by uh, by what they see with their eyes and the defeat that they feel. Um, you know, sometimes all the work God's done in the past is overwhelmed by what we're going through in the present. In just one moment of time, we forget God's faithfulness. We, we, become, we become the glass is half empty real quickly when I'm going through some amount of pain. It can, be, it can even be a minor amount of pain. Or maybe I feel some injustice is done towards me and I begin to forget everything God has done. Uh, that's, a, that's a good reminder for us. Verse, verse 6, uh, verses 9 through 14, six times, the word you is used. God, you did this. You're the one. Um, and, and there's some truth in that. I want to take that on, on two hands. On one hand, yes, God, you did do this. Because if we believe in God's sovereignty and his, his, his control of all things, that everything that happens happens either directly by God's hand or God allowing that to happen. Even Satan does not act in this earth without, without permission from God to act in the way that he does. And on the other hand, that we know that, that uh, sin entered into the world, and because of that, there are consequences, and there are, 
There, there's pain in the world. There's cancer. There's suffering. So much of what we deal with and so much of the what we feel is unjust or what we feel is the pain or our failure is because of sin in the world. Either our sin or the sins of others or maybe even sins of past generations that have been carried down. And so, so yes, God allowed this, but many of the frustrations and the consequences of our own sins and the sins of others have been passed down to us. Then look at verse uh, 17. Skip on down. Uh, there is there's this word forget that comes up three times there. It's a key word in this passage, or forget or forgotten. In verse 17, he says, All of this has come upon us, though we have not that we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Then verse verse 20 says, If we had forgotten the name of God and spread out our hands to a foreign God, would you have not known this? And then verse 24 uh, it says again, uh, Why do you forget our fl- affliction and oppression? He said, if we had forgotten you, if we, if, we, if we had not known you, and then he says later in verse 20, if we'd ever turned aside from you, I would just challenge you to go through Israel's history and find any period of time where they did keep God's covenant. You, you don't have to go very far on either side of any experience of Israel where they were unfaithful to God. I mean, all through all through the Bible, you go back to the time of Moses when he is he is first given the the, the uh, Ten Commandments as he goes up to Mount Sinai. What is the what are the people down below doing? They turn away from God. I mean, it didn't take just a matter of days for them to turn away from God and create an idol, a, a golden calf. Or you go forward into the wilderness experience. The Bible says they they in even in the wilderness while God is delivering them they're committing idolatry. The Bible says in Numbers they were murmuring against God, they were accusing God. In the Promised Land they pursued the gods of the Canaanites and b- built relationships with them and and took foreign wives. The time of Judges were filled with times that the Bible says that every man did what was right in their own eyes and God would have to raise up a judge to cause them to turn back to him. You get to the time of kings, oh, they, oh if we just had a king, then we would everything would be all right and we would obey God. And what happens? You even get the king that's after God's own heart. And what does he do? He commits adultery and he becomes, he becomes an enemy of God. And so all through this time, this is not true. They've forgotten God's covenant all through the time. Uh, and so, and, and so this, is, this, is, this is the quandary we have of that we, we sometimes look at our own selves that well, we've been faithful to God and yet we wouldn't take along for any one of us to look on either side of our faithfulness and find times we've been unfaithful to God. What's most amazing about this passage, though, is that there is a, is a prayer at the end, is that after all this accusations and accusing and self-righteousness, there is a prayer to God praying to the God that they blamed for the mess that they're in. Now they're praying, God, would you help us out of this? And it's very similar to uh, Job's story, where Job uh, accusations are made about Job, and Job begins to start to blame God a bit, and then yet he knows God is his only hope. God's ability in Psalms and in Job is never in question. Can God deliver us is not in question. Is it his will to deliver us? That's, that's the question. And uh, that's the one we don't have the answer to. And so, and I would just say this: I don't always know, and I, lots of times I don't know why is it there are times that God answers a prayer immediately and responds to something as soon as we ask, or even maybe in the process of our asking. And other times we ask Him for something and He doesn't answer, and it seems that He's silent, and it almost seems as if 
He doesn't care about that issue in our life. And, and maybe we don't ever know the answer in this life, and we don't have the answer to that. But we do have the answer to this question when it says in this passage that prayer is this, uh, the, uh, that rise up in verse 26, rise up, come to our help, redeem us for the sake of our steadfast love. God did answer that prayer. Chapter 45 is going to explain all that, but, but the answer that I can give you right now is this. God answered that in the cross. He rose up, came to their aid. Now, it took a long time. It's a long time from chapter 44 of Psalm to the cross of Jesus Christ. But in the cross, all of the punishment of the world was placed upon Christ. All the suffering of the world was placed upon Him. And upon, upon the cross, He redeemed mankind. He redeemed, he redeemed uh, us for the sake of His people, for the, for the sake of His glory. He redeemed mankind. Paul, in... in uh, uh, in what is maybe one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible, quotes Psalm 44. Again, I've heard one sermon about it, and I know one time one person quoted it. Paul's a pretty good guy to quote something, but in Psalm 40, in, in Romans chapter 8, when he's going through that dissertation about the love of God, so what can separate us from the love of God? Shall famine or persecution, nakedness, danger, or sword? It, can any of these things separate us from the love of God? In there, he inserts this 22nd verse where he says, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. I've always wondered, why is that in there? Well, you need to read Psalm 44 when you get to, to, to uh, the whole psalm, when you get to Romans chapter 8. But then he comes back and he answers that, that question, really that kind of question, that thought. Is this happening to us? And he says, no, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Yes, we may feel like we're going through these things. We may feel like God's been un unfair to us, but he is in all things protecting us, watching over, saving us, delivering us. We're more than conquerors in him. And so this is a, this is a great conclusion to this passage. Read Psalm 44, but then quickly get to Romans chapter 8 and be reminded that the love of God is near to us, dear to us, that he came in Christ to save us and redeem us. And I pray that the writers of this psalm came to that understanding uh, before their time was up that he did, for the sake of his steadfast love, redeem mankind. Well, thank you for being a part of this tonight and uh, hope that uh, this was helpful to you. I want to encourage you to be back with us. We're going to take a week off and then we'll be back for Psalm 45 in two weeks.